Take your Bibles, if you would, as we get there and turn to Luke chapter 2. This morning we will continue our examination of the insignificance of Christmas. Again, that's not to suggest that Christmas is insignificant. We're using that as a noun to examine some of the individuals who are part of our Christmas narrative. Now, of course, I trust, I pray, I prayed this when we started, that we know that the celebration of Christmas is about recognizing that God sent a Savior, a promised Savior, into the world. And he sent him not as a super magnificent, clearly superior to everyone else, chosen by God to save people from their sins individual. We know that he was chosen by God to save his people from their sins, but when he came, he didn't come as anything that was majestic. We do know that the, the day of the Passover, or, the, or excuse me, the, the, um, the triumphal entry, the week before the Passover, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt, signifying in that moment that he was a king. But in his birth, he was really born of, of lowly estate. The baby itself wasn't anything that, that we would look upon and deem significant. In fact, in, in regarding the Messiah physically, the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Physically, we, we could say Jesus was just like everyone else. This ought not be a deterrent for us when we think of Christ. It ought to bring us great comfort and confidence that he, like us, has been tempted. He was a, a real human man, and because of this, he sympathizes with us in our weakness, is what we find in the, the letter to the Hebrews. And so as we think about Jesus, and we think about his role, we think about the purpose of his birth, as we prepare to look at some of the insignificant individuals of our Christmas narrative, I want to remind you of how Jesus would describe himself in John chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all on his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus, of course, here is speaking metaphorically, and he would go on in John chapter 10. The whole, whole chapter is about Jesus as the good shepherd, and we, for the sake of time, couldn't read the whole thing this morning. But Jesus speaking here metaphorically in reference to a good shepherd, more specifically in reference to the good shepherd. And in this passage, John chapter 10, Jesus would equate himself with being that good shepherd. 
speaking to the realities of how it is that a shepherd would care for the sheep of his pasture. And his care is contrasted to that of a, a false shepherd. Jesus says the false shepherd is a thief. And he is a robber. And, and, and literally, at the first sign of trouble, he flees. Because he doesn't care about the sheep. So he leaves the sheep to their own demise. And the reality, when we think about this false shepherd shepherding his sheep in a way that is fleeing at the first sight of trouble, one where the sheep don't know him, they don't hear his voice, and they don't follow him. Really what Jesus is describing for us here in this, this arena or this relationship between the shepherd and these sheep is chaos. It's an arena, it's a description of a time and a place where there is no peace. But Jesus is the good shepherd... He brings peace, not chaos, but peace, order, and he brings clarity. And we're introduced to this concept of shepherding in the New Testament in the only place, I don't know if you know this or not, but the only place in the New Testament where we see shepherds actually, like it's a, it's a noun, we're referring to people who are there, and it's not a metaphorical representation. The only place where we actually see shepherds in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 2. They're not figurative. They're not an illustration. They are literally shepherds. And so I want to look at this, this text this morning of these literal shepherds. And I want to go, I want to just kind of do like as we've done, right? We're going to look at it together. We're going to make some observations. But as we think about the insignificance of Christmas, the shepherds, I told Pastor Aaron this week, I struggled a little bit because, I mean, you know, I can be long-winded. And I didn't want to be up here all morning. But I told Pastor and I said, it seems almost a travesty or a, a dishonoring of the text to talk about shepherds and not talk about the good shepherd. And so I want to start this morning by making some observation of these general shepherds that we see, we learn about, we read are tending their, their, their flocks in the field. Shock, I don't know if that's a flock and a sheep put together. They're tending their shocks in the field. But I want to look at these shepherds, and, and then I want to look at the good shepherd as we finish this morning. So I'm going to read beginning in verse 8 of Luke 2, uh, and then we're going to go from there. So our text picks up where uh, we left off in our call to worship. The baby has been born, and he's been laid in a manger, and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And in verse 8 it says, Then in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary 
treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray together as we begin our service this morning. Father, so thankful today for the tremendous privilege that it is to have your word. God, to see how you worked in human history. God, how you intervened after a period of 400 years where there had been no prophets, no prophecies had been uttered that were from you. After these 400 silent years, we see your plan for the redemption of sinful man begin to unfold. And as we've talked about leading up to today and throughout the course of these last few weeks, God, I pray that as much as we consider the reality of Christmas and celebrating the birth of a Savior, God, all of this points to the death of a Savior. And we look at just in these few verses, we see a reality, God, of how you have proven your faithfulness, God, how you have demonstrated your faithfulness to your word and to the prophecies that you had uttered of old from your prophets. And God, we see as, as we watch this situation play out and we work our way through the Gospels and the New Testament and even down to today, God, we see your faithfulness in sending a Savior, one who is Christ, God, who would redeem their people, his people from their sins. So, Father, as we look at the shepherds today, help us to be mindful not just of the actions of the shepherds, but, God, help us to be mindful today of the good shepherd. God, the one who very clearly told in John chapter 10 as he was teaching the people that he was the good shepherd and that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, that they know him and they hear his voice and they follow him. Father, we thank you this morning for your provision of salvation through the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for his faithful obedience. And Father, may we look to him this morning. May our hearts be open. May we hear from you today in such a way that we would be encouraged, God, but that we could be challenged, that we could grow today to be more like Jesus and that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here's the situation at hand, right? It's probably one that's fairly familiar, pretty familiar with the Christmas story this time of year, as we would call it in Luke chapter 2. But here's what's happening. The, the most significant series of events in human history are beginning to unfold. There are no more significant events in all of human history, no matter how much longer if we physically, earthly reside in this realm, there is no greater significant series of events in human history than what has just begun, according to our text. The birth of the Savior has taken place. Jesus has been born in Nazareth, or of Nazareth, excuse me, in Bethlehem. And it's amazing when you think about, perhaps, maybe not, that the most important events in human history begin with a public proclamation of such events to outsiders. The most significant events in human history have just begun in the first public proclamation of them that we see in God's word is to people who were forced to live outside of the city. You see, shepherds were dirty, and they were regarded as dirty. They were regarded as less significant than the religious folks. They weren't allowed to participate in temple worship. 
They literally lived outside of the city. And the message that they would bring as the recipients of the first public proclamation of the birth of a Savior would absolutely challenge the religious people of Jerusalem. Because literally we could say, and it would be fair to say this morning, that most religious people despised shepherds. And yet, these are the very people. This is the very group that God has chosen to reveal the fact of the Savior's birth to. Seemingly insignificant, excluded from temple worship, dirty, grimy, less than people. And he tells this group of people a message that needs to be heard. The shepherds are just doing their job, tending their flocks by night. Luke says in the same region, so relatively close to Bethlehem, but again, somewhere outside of the city. They're tending their flocks. They're doing their job. And once again, we see what? An angel of the Lord appears. We've seen this over and over. And as we often see with Scripture, when the angel appears, uh, Luke tells us that the shepherds are terrified. And the angel says, just as he often does, what? He says, fear not. Not only is there no need to fear in this moment physically, which, you know, as you think about this reality of angels appearing, I could imagine why it would strike fear into somebody of what may be transpiring physically. What's going on in their life? Is, they, is their life in danger? Are they safe? What's happening? And so the angel says, no, uh, there's no need to fear. Ha- have no fear. Not just physically, but ultimately what's happening is, is the angel would proclaim to these shepherds, have no fear. The angel will go on and proclaim a message that will eradicate fear in an earthly sense once and for all. That's not to say that there's a double meaning of the angel telling the shepherds not to have any fear. But it's because we're on this side of history, we know how it plays out. We know that there's tremendous significance. And these shepherds, as they hear this message that the angel would proclaim to them. Remember we talk about false shepherds? Jesus, the chaos that would come with them and the the destruction and the disunity and everything that was not what Christ would come and offer? This is what the the angel would tell the shepherds. This is what we bring to you. He says he brings them good news, tidings of great joy that would be for who? For all people. Once and for all, fear would be eradicated. The angel tells the shepherds that a baby has been born. And how do they describe this baby? Fear not, behold, I bring you, here's the good news of great joy that's for all people. He says, unto you is born this day in the city of David, who? A Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. Three terms, three separate, distinct, individual terms used to describe the baby that had been born. He is the Savior. That's to say he is one that rescues Right? And I think this is a very vivid picture when we think about anybody needing rescue, right? I, and I think probably one of the most appropriate pictures of that is that life preserver, you know, that's on any time you, you go to the pool and there's that round orange life preserver. And we all understand that scene, right? That picture of somebody who is drowning and needs to be rescued and that life preserver is thrown to them. But again, as we've looked at Jesus and we understand the reality of his, his rescuing. He didn't come to rescue. He's not coming to rescue people physically. 
Ultimately, that would be one of the things that would beset the Jewish religious leaders so much. They didn't come to free him from the oppression of Rome. They didn't come to free them physically. He came to free them to rescue them spiritually. And mind you, we saw last week when Jesus was described, the baby was born, what would he do? What did the angel of the Lord tell Joseph? You, Mary's pregnant with child from the Holy Spirit. She'll have a baby and you shall name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This Savior rescues spiritually. They say he's the Christ. That's to say he's anointed. This baby that's been born, not only is he going to save you spiritually or save his people spiritually, but he's anointed. He is the Christ. He is the one who has been chosen by God, declared, decreed by God, is the one who is qualified to carry out the task of rescuing sinful man. He's Savior, he's Christ, and he's Lord. Biblically, the idea of this Jesus as Lord is that he exercises supernatural authority over mankind. Simplest way to put it is he's in charge. And what he says is final. So their message in summation is that an anointed one has come to rescue mankind and is the authority over mankind. He's come. He's here. He's been born. The, the, the Old Testament prophecies pointed to this Savior. But it's not the Savior that the people are looking for. Because they're looking for somebody who's going to reign and, and rule with an iron fist. Who's going to overthrow Rome. And is going to set them free from their oppression and the extortion that they experience. And the fear that they live under as citizens in a Roman emperor. Angel of the Lord says, this is who you're looking for. He's been born, and here's a sign. He's not wearing body armor. He doesn't yield a physical weapon. He's a baby. And he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he's in a trough. He's in a place where animals would live, where they would feed Everything that would accompany a first century farm setting is where the Savior, the one who rescues, where the anointed, the one who is over all things, where the Lord, the one who has authority, will be born. A setting fit for a farm animal. And as this angel proclaims this to these shepherds, an angel will be born. It's amazing if you can, with me, just kind of picture the scene. Here's the sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, this is a, not a long period of time, the angel gives them the sign. And almost instantaneously, now there's not one angel. There's a multitude. There's a whole heavenly host of angels. And in one voice, they're loudly proclaiming and exclaiming, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest because of what has transpired. Glory to God because of the fact that the Savior has been born. And not only are we going to give glory to God in the highest, but understand this baby being born means that there is peace. There is peace to be had. 
There is peace among those with whom God is pleased. And then in the blink of an eye, the angelic host is gone. Again, just one of those times you think about, just can you imagine being there? Can you imagine in the first century being outside of the city in the absolute utter darkness of night? Doing your thing, tending to your sheep, not expecting anything abnormal is going to happen on this particular night. And then an angel appears. And as that angel bears the message of what has transpired and why people need to know it, there's now a heavenly host of angels. I, I, I have to imagine, I mean, I've never seen an angel, right? Like I've never had an angel of the Lord appear to me. But the contrast between the darkness of the night prior to the angel and the light of the night as the angels are on the scene would be, I mean, breathtaking, magnificent. It's going to be striking for the shepherds. And then Luke says, and in an instant, it was gone. They were gone. It was back to being night. They're just shepherds in a dark field outside of a town tending to their sheep. There's part of me that imagines, this is not biblical, there's part of me that imagines, when I say this is not biblical, I mean it's not recorded for us, that the shepherds probably looked at each other and said, what do we do now? I mean, I think that's a fitting response, right? What, what do we do now, they weren't told explicitly by the angel to go to Bethlehem, but they did tell them what would happen if they went to Bethlehem. When you go to Bethlehem, you'll find a baby. This is the sign for you. This will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. So I would submit they'd conclude that the only logical thing to do is to go into the city. Now, again, I want you to picture the scene with me. You have these men who are dirty and despised and not fit to be part of a regular Jewish society living outside of the city, tending their sheep in the darkness of night, and all of a sudden, they're literally in Bethlehem pushing open the doors of stables because they're looking for the baby that's been born. Because the angel doesn't say, go to this stable. The angel says, this will be a sign. You will find him. And so they go. And now again, I want you to imagine with me. Not only are they looking in all of these stables, but how are they viewed? It's rational to think that people would say, what are you doing in here? Like, get, get out of here, right? Like, it's the middle of the night. This is my property. This is my home. These are my animals. Get out of here. And so we know Luke records for us that they go through these stables. I don't know how many. Bethlehem wasn't a huge town. Small enough that they could have looked through these stables under the cover of night. And they find these stables. It says they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph. And they found the baby lying in a manger. And Luke tells us that when they found the baby, they told the shepherds told Mary and Joseph all that they had been told. Now, I don't want us to miss this because sometimes I think we can lose sight of the significance of some of the details for the bigger picture. 
They'd heard. They had been told the good news. The news that would bring peace for those who God would be pleased with, right? Like everybody that would be right with God, they have this news that, that makes them right with God. And so they come, they hear it, and they're understanding it. And then what do they do? They start telling people. They didn't find the baby. Oh, wow, the angel was right. Let's go back to the field. No, Luke records for us that when they found the baby, they began to, to tell the events of the field just prior to then. What had happened? So when they saw the baby, they make all of these things known concerning the child. Mary, Joseph, this baby that has been born, he is the Christ. He is the Savior. Mary, Joseph, this is the Lord of all creation. You know, we were talking yesterday in the house um, just about the girls singing and Jace. Sorry, Jace, I always forget him. And, um, but just them singing, Mary, did you know? And it's, it's, it's my favorite Christmas song because every time I hear it, even we come up here yesterday and they were practicing and I was back there working the slides as they were doing it. I just found myself kind of thinking about the words of the song and just the significance of what would be accomplished through the baby that Mary had within her. And so you imagine almost if you will, with me being Mary and we're in this stable and we've had this baby and we know what the angel has revealed to Mary. You know, if I'm Mary, I know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this baby and now the baby's been born. And all of a sudden, here come these other people. And they're opening the door of the stable. They're like, oh, the baby, Mary, Joseph. I don't know. They probably didn't know their names. They might have had to ask them first. Maybe they didn't at all. I don't have any idea. What I do know is that when they saw the baby, they said, this is the one. This is the baby. This is the Savior. This is the Christ. This is the Lord. And I love how Luke brings this whole series of events to a conclusion. And the shepherds returned. They found the baby. They told Mary and Joseph. And don't forget, we'll get to this. They assuredly told everybody else along the way too. Every stable door they opened and every homeowner they interacted with, they told them what they had heard as well. And we know this because it says that uh, after they went and they found Mary and Joseph, the baby lion of manger, they saw it, they made known the saying, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. It doesn't just say, and they, Mary and Joseph, all who heard it. And then it tells us, again, the, 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 the account closes with the shepherds just simply leaving Bethlehem. And they returned to their flocks. They returned to their fields. But as they went, they glorified God and they praised God. Because of the things that they had heard with their ears and the things that they had seen with their eyes because of what God had revealed to them. You know, this morning, as we think through some of these realities on this side of history, right, we, we, under, we know, because we have God's word, what would transpire. The events that would unfold and play themselves out when it would pertain to Christ and the Savior, the Messiah. We've seen on this side of history, the majority of these major events that followed the birth begin to play out. Namely, that this Savior who was born, a baby, laying in a manger, was crucified, died and was buried, and three days later came back to life. 
And he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And one day he will come back to judge both the living and the dead and to bring culmination to the earthly events that began some 2,000 years ago. It was just the beginning. Not the beginning of human history, but it was the beginning of the unfolding of the specifics of God's plan to redeem sinful man. Events that began with a public proclamation to people who were despised and rejected by society. To people who were insignificant. To people who, the, the culture there, the society, the people really didn't have much use for. And Christ too would be despised and rejected. But this would not lessen his role as the savior who would save his people from their sin. It would vindicate it. You see, the news of the Savior was great joy, but you know, one of the things that I think is so important, and maybe I'm doom and gloom when I say this, but the news of the Savior, of this great joy and this peace that comes with the birth announcement, it's not for everybody. Everybody doesn't have the peace of God. Everybody's life does not experience joy because of a belief and a trust and understanding of who Jesus is. Notice that heavenly host, when they praise, they say, peace among those with whom God is pleased. Christ the Savior, he came to bring this joy and this peace. But I think we all absolutely agree that we live in a world that is full of people who lack both of these things. Every one of us in this room knows absolutely how easy it is to go straight from Thanksgiving all the way to January and spend significantly more time focusing on the things that this season brings with it than the Savior who the season is about. We're guilty of that in the church where hopefully we at least have the peace and joy of God because we have that saving relationship. But we still have to be mindful that we can lose sight. But you know what? We're surrounded by people who celebrate Christmas. They have no concept of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is a sobering reality, a little bit, if we can be honest this morning. People in the coming weeks, some have already started, some will do after Christmas Day, but in the coming weeks, there will be scores and scores and scores of people who will celebrate Christmas and not have any concept or interest and actually celebrating Christmas. Because not everyone has, not everyone recognizes the joy and the peace of this birth announcement. And as we've alluded to, Christ declared that he was the good shepherd. And Jesus said when he was teaching metaphorically and being the good shepherd, that he, he comes so that people might have life and have it more abundantly. But it's really interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus said, this is why I've came. But we've also seen here the angels say, look, not everybody's going to have this. Jesus says, as the good shepherd, he lays his life down for his sheep. And so I would ask you, as we think about this joy and this peace, that we see the birth of Christ clearly brings. Christ himself stood on this reality in John 10. I came that you would have life and that you would have life more abundantly. 
What keeps people from having joy? What keeps people from having peace? What keeps people from having life? Simply this, unbelief. Unbelief. Had the shepherds not went to Bethlehem, we would rightly conclude that they didn't believe the angel. Had they not went to Bethlehem, we would have rightly concluded that they didn't believe the heavenly hosts who were praising God and the message that came with the angel and the angels who would praise. It's interesting because, again, in John chapter 10, Jesus is the good shepherd. He talks about the thief, and he comes to rob and kill. But he doesn't say that's why he comes. The thief who robs, destroys, and kills He comes telling you that he brings life, that he brings joy, that he brings peace. But he can never deliver. He promises joy, but he only steals it. And the reality is when we fail to trust and believe God and what he has revealed, for us it's unbelief. It's unbelief. And today you may be sitting here. And you may be thinking, you know what? My life lacks joy. I don't have any peace in my life. There is so much turmoil in my life that I can't even stand it. I don't even want to go to work tomorrow because the people that I have to work with are so chaotic and unrealistic and ridiculous that I loathe going to work. I don't have any joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. If I had this, I'd be happy. If I lose this, I'm not happy. Joy is the disposition that the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ promises to those who believe in Christ. And you may be here this morning thinking, man, my life lacks those things. I think it's reasonable to say if if your life lacks those things, you don't have what Christ came offering. And in some way today, you, need to, you may need to stop trying to work so hard. You may need to stop trying to be so diligent to change your circumstances. Perhaps this morning there's a reality that what you need to do is simply trust and believe that God is who he says he is. That he was the good shepherd who came to bring his people peace. That he came to bring his people peace. Joy, because the reality is, I've said that a couple times, the reality is that it's one or the other. When you think of the message that the shepherds brought and the message that the good shepherd himself proclaimed, you don't have both. You can't believe and not believe. You either believe or you don't. You can't trust and not trust. You either trust or you don't. I want to finish this morning with just a couple of things that we might say are reminders or applications of what we've tried to look at this morning in considering the shepherds and their insignificance. First, God's message of peace and joy is not for the prestigious, it is not for the wealthy, and it is not for the put-together. It isn't even just for those who currently know it, which we see this oftentimes. God's message of peace and joy is for all people. 
And that includes you. It may be this morning it's a, a, a reaffirmation of the faithfulness of God or the goodness of God in giving his son Jesus that you might know him, that you might have life, that you might have it abundantly. But it also might be for you this morning that you're looking at, you're listening and you're looking at this screen and you're thinking God's message of peace is for all people, then why don't I have it? It's a great question. Because God's message of peace is for all people. A good shepherd came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Secondly, if you have received the message of joy and peace, it is your responsibility to proclaim it to others. Not somebody else's responsibility, not the church's responsibility, it's yours. I would be amiss if I, if I said this reality this morning and, and didn't share a little bit, and I will, and I didn't ask if I could, so I might get in trouble. I can get away with stuff like this with my wife, but I don't know if I've ever asked if I could get away with stuff like this with my sister-in-law, who happens to be here because her kids were up here singing along with mine. But I'm here today because of one of the individuals who's here today who came to my house in May of 2006 to share with me the realities of the peace and joy of Jesus Christ that I didn't have. I didn't know Jesus as my Savior. I didn't understand. I had a cognitive understanding that Jesus was the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins, but I had no concept of what it meant to truly believe that, whereby I then have a relationship with the God of the universe that brings joy and peace. That doesn't mean that my life has been perfect. doesn't mean that it's perfect now. But we see the shepherds just simply proclaim what they know. Do you think the shepherds perfectly understood everything that the angel revealed to them? We don't even know what they knew or didn't know as it would pertain to Old Testament prophecies. We just know that the angel said, this is what you need to know. And when you go to Bethlehem, this is what you're going to find, and that's how you're going to know it's the truth. And they believed and they went. Their belief in what the angels told them was marked by their obedience to it. And when they saw it, they told them. They told them. I'm going to level with you this morning. I do not understand a professing believer in Jesus who doesn't tell people about Jesus. Something's wrong in that scenario. You know, there was a, I don't know who it was, but there was an atheist one time in a conversation he was having. He said, I refuse to believe the message of Christianity because there's so many people who say that they believe it and yet they tell no one. Do you believe the message of Christianity? That 2,000 years ago in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is born. And that in his life and then his subsequent death, he's brought joy and he's brought peace. And if you say, yeah, yeah, when was the last time you talked to somebody about it? And not the person that you know would say they too believe. What about that coworker that drives you insane? What about that classmate who you really want to sit at the other end of the classroom from? What about that family member who you think, man, maybe, maybe they'll be sick and won't come to Christmas this year? 
Somebody's laughing like maybe they had that thought. I want you to understand something. Man, if you know Christ as Savior, you have the most precious gift that you could ever give anyone. And if there was ever a gift to give on Christmas, it would be the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know where I'd be if somebody hadn't told me. Where would you be if somebody hadn't told you? And who might you tell it to? Thirdly, and I'm only, I mean this as politely as I can mean it. Most of you here know me well enough to know, you know what I mean when I say this. But thirdly, I want you to understand something about yourself. You are insignificant. And that's okay. The gospel wasn't for powerful, wealthy, prestigious people. The first public proclamation of the birth of Jesus was to despised and rejected people. God has done and is doing great things for his glory through people of insignificance. I want you to consider with me the words of Paul to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, beginning in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Let me say that again. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God has not called you to be great. God has called you to be faithful. Most of us, if not all of us, you know, our, 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 our lives, this blip that we call eternity is brief and but a moment. Probably none of us in this room will ever have a book written about us. There'll probably never be a memorandum where somewhere along the line somebody will remember years and years and years from now of just how significant we were. But that's okay. Because that's not who God desires to use. Not that he can't. But God uses the foolish to shame the wise. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? He hasn't called us to be great. He's called us to be faithful. He's called us to boast in him. And in our boasting of him, those who are insignificant boast of the most significant individual and events of this life in all of human history. Shepherds were insignificant. The good shepherd is most significant. May we boast of him and his greatness. And as we do so, may a world that so desperately needs joy and peace realize that it is found in him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Christ, who is the good shepherd. I thank you, as he said, that he, the good shepherd would come and he would lay down his life. 
that the good shepherd came that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. I thank you, God, that the life that Christ brings is characterized by joy and peace. And I thank you, God, that the, the joy and the peace of the message of Jesus Christ is for all people. It's not just for some. It's for all people. And I thank you this morning, God, that if we're here and we profess to be a believer, that there was somebody who had received that message and was faithful to share that message with us. So, Father, may we boast not in those people, but in you. God, help us to boast in the joy and peace that we have because of your faithfulness to us. And God, help us to be people who recognize that the greatest gift is the gift of Christ, the gospel. That is the gospel that sinful man is made right with a holy God by faith or by believing that which has been revealed in your word. Father, we thank you for giving of Jesus. We thank you for the Savior, the Christ, who is Lord. Father, help us to fix our eyes upon him this time of year. Help us to put aside the distraction that is the chaos of this season. Help us to focus. Help us, God, to have clear minds. Help us, God, to have open hearts that we would hear from you. God, that we would be challenged by you. But, God, that we would love you more deeply today than we did yesterday. That we might look for those who we can share the hope and the joy and the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ with. That they, too, might come to know and that they, too, might have a reason to boast in your faithfulness. God, we pray that you would work in us and through us for our good, but most importantly, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.